Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week, news from Atlassian, news from other people than Atlassian. <laughs> <laughs> there's Atlassian and then there's everyone else. Yeah, we've got news from them, including news from Slack, K15T, um, some fantastic articles from around the ecosystem, including adding Excel tables to Jira issues, and even some bad advice about Jira. I am Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined today by Matthew Stubblefield and our special guest, Sarah Stalin. You may ask, where's Brenda? Well, Brenda is on location researching a top-secret story and uh, will return to us in the next edition. So, Sarah, Matthew, hello. Thanks for being here today. Hello. Nice to see you. Brenda's mission is so top-secret, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, I didn't actually go through with thinking that out. I just said it. <laughs> Is her top secret mission vacation? Maybe. <laughs> she, she might just be on vacation. Like so much of what Ryan does in this podcast, speaking without thinking it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, sometimes I don't need to um, speak it out. I just type it out into our chat client. And that brings us to a bit of news about Slack integrations with Jira becoming massively enhanced. Which, which for the record, is not our chat client. We use HubChat here at uh, here at Adaptivist. Though we have used Slack on occasion with customers when they demand it. Uh, but yeah, Slack, some nice improvements for their Atlassian integration. I find it super interesting that you can issue commands from a tool that isn't an Atlassian one. Uh, my guess is that what Slack's doing is it's just hooking into uh, uh, the REST API. Uh, that Atlassian provides in their tools. And notably, uh, and you'll see this in the, the articles that we link in the, in the podcast and the SoundCloud description, um, it's not just Jira. Uh, they've got integrations with HubSpot, with Asana, with Zendesk, uh, but with Jira and Bitbucket. And uh, um, there's actually a couple of articles. We'll link one from VentureBeat <laughs> and another from Verge. And I particularly like the little GIF that's in uh, the Verge one. Um, I'm guessing it doesn't look quite this slick or animated when you're doing it live, but it does give you an idea. If you're not a Slack customer, uh, as we're not, um, you can you can see it there. It's probably worth mentioning. Um, you know, you you can do actions like this in HipChat. You will be able to in Stride in the future. And since I'm not a Slack customer, I wasn't aware of the cost of Slack. So, like, I'm not trying to slam on them or anything. But I was shocked last week. Uh, to find out it's like six bucks a person for like the sort of the, the regular and then $12 per person for pro or enterprise or whatever it's called. Like it's, I, I wow. couldn't believe how expensive it was. Wow. For a chat client. Yeah. Depending on your opinion, uh, we at, at Adaptivist have, have benefited or been hindered by my experience with Slack as that's where I first came across the party parrot. And I was trying to find it on HipChat, uh, and Queen Bee herself helped me load. I was actually looking for one specific one, the Explodey Parrot. The Party Parrot shakes back and forth, and then it goes. <laughs> um, that one, unfortunately, we can't get on HipChat because it has too many frames. 
Um, but now at Adaptus, I think we have like 20 different party parrots. Plenty so of parties. I apologize or you're welcome. <laughs> I thank you. <laughs> For our regular listeners, you might recall our ongoing series on, <laughs> I party forgot parrots? what it was. So that was uh, No, it was the unicorn. What was the unicorn emoji? Uh, it was the unicorn emoji being added to Bitbucket's repositories. So you could, that's right. So you can include a, a unicorn emoji and not um, ship the bed proverbially yeah <laughs> so for our for our regular listeners you might you might have drawn the conclusion at this point that adaptivist loves its emojis and you're not wrong you are not wrong i put my vote in for the party wizard myself i'm so glad he's there party was pretty great he's stomping his cane like, yes i also like party dinosaur <laughs> oh the party, party dinosaur was a good addition <laughs> so but it did it really Speak- did start with me looking for explodey parrot so here we are it's all Sarah's fault. Uh, speaking of wizardry, we've got some new automation in uh, Jira Cloud. That's mathematical. It's actually um, very interesting to see the degree of automation that they're bringing to agility boards. Agility boards are something that we just learned about. Yeah, I think like three podcasts, two three. or three podcasts ago, we were reading through the, the cloud notes, and uh, it's a new type of Jira software board. This this automation is particularly interesting um, because what it's effectively doing is providing a way to add post functions to the Jira simplified workflow. So you are actually adding a post function for those Jira admins out there who recognize that to your, your board column. For those who don't know what a post function is, it's just an automation. It's a thing that happens on a workflow transition. And what this does is when you drag and drop a card into a column, you can add an automation to the column that says, you know, add a rule maybe assign the issue to a person. And when the card lands in that column, it'll, it'll assign the issue. So, you know, when you want to make sure that Greg gets all of the work, he's under the sun, drop in that Greg column, lay it on him. Uh, I think that this, this is going to be an interesting thing to watch because in, uh, it seems like they're rolling out new features to agility boards fairly regularly. And another one that is listed as well as the, along with the automation rules, is the ability for project, uh, the proper level of permission to invite users in to the agility board. So they can just, eh, 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 you can't see it, but I'm pointing at things and they're making fun of me for pointing. Right, right. They just point at the right uh-huh. people and boom, they're in the board. And so th- two summits ago. But, okay, but not to ahead. Kanban boards. Not, just agility not boards. Not scrum board. Agility. Not board. in server. No. We've we've gone from like the differentiation between cloud and server to now we have even a divide between Scrum Kanban boards and agility boards. I think that the universe itself trends towards complexity until it trends towards <laughs> entropy. But, but we'll see how that goes. Um, but I think that these moves are, are interesting and they're they're go they're going somewhere with this. Two I'm going somewhere with this actually. Two summits ago. Are you sure? Yes. Two summits <laughs> ago, um, I spoke with a, just an Atlassian um, employee, and I I'm sorry that I don't remember her name, but um, we were talking about administering Jira, and I had just gotten done with the uh, teaching the administration two class, and she asked me, "What do you think would happen if schemes went away?" And I think that's what's happening. Like the, the, you're seeing that philosophy coming up through uh, Atlassian in that sort of radical amount of freedom they're handing out to cloud users. 
they're really decentralizing who can do what with the tool. Well, and they're they're exposing the functionality. I was talking with uh, a web development team just earlier today about how an administrative interface had grown up over the last year and gotten more and more complex to where one action was taking 12 or 15 clicks. And uh, when you think about what it takes to make a post function right now, typically you're opening one to two additional tabs. You're, you're navigating through all these windows. You're selecting different things. It's, it's a long process. If, if we can add a post function from the board, just through a more menu, two clicks, maybe three, that's, that's a huge user experience improvement. That is way less clicks. Like 12 less clicks. <laughs> and math, saving time good. like that, it, like saving time like that allows people to uh, um, experiment and iterate. So it's not just about getting the thing done faster, but it's letting you try stuff out, find a way to, to make it better. Uh, it's, it's something on a, on a very basic level. I mean, think about uh, what you see is what you get. Word editors, documenters like Microsoft Word. The fact that we can see the typesetting before we print. That's a huge improvement for document generation. If we can play around with our automation and test it in the moment and then make a change, that's uh, the, the time saving just has a huge knock on impact for our productivity. How do we get to cloud, uh, the drag and drop an attachment? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to drop this entire segment, me. Jesus. <laughs> is that just for cloud? Yes. Yeah. Well, the thing is, drag and drop's already been on server. They just they finally have it on cloud. Our viewers at home can't see it, but I was yeah. waving my tiny little flag. Um, no, I mean it's a, it's a good improvement to have. It's exciting. Drag and drop into the and specifically, it's the new issue view. Um, and uh, what's what is important about this isn't okay cloud has drag and drop your servers had it forever server doesn't have the new issue view and what this communicates is the iterative approach that elastin is taking to its cloud development it's not waiting for feature complete it's taking a very agile approach and shipping out the changes as they're ready which helps us get the new products faster you know i i think that's one of the things we can interpret from the updates this week of we got the new issue view a few weeks ago and now we're getting more functionality added to it as those features, you know, pass testing and become become ready to ship. And that's that is putting your money where your mouth is, you know, as far as like practicing agile. Yeah. So that's neat. You know, it's something else that I found this week that is pretty neat from our colleagues, K15T. Scroll image map has been updated. And I think that as a Confluence person and a, a design person, I, I'd spent a lot of time as a graphic designer in my uh, misspent youth. This would be super handy to be able to create an image map, an interactive image that takes, it's like, I know that it's an element of the 90s web, right? But it's really nice to be able to designate areas of an image as clickable interactive areas. Where would you see an application for that, though? Other than in fun. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent question, Sarah. Um, so if I had an open-facing, uh, open-faced Confluence sandwich, no, an open <laughs> Confluence instance, like our knowledge base was public, we right. were, and it was being run through Confluence, the homepage of your support space might have a big splash graphic that invites, that makes people feel like, oh, this is definitely my product. 
It's got very clear buttons that tell people click here for this kind of service. You know, it just makes it ultra intuitive. As opposed to directing them to menus, you can kind of draw yeah. them from an image. Okay. Yeah, as it, just from a user design. It. All right, good. I'll, I'll get the enthusiasm. I'll <laughs> sell you two or three. I'll take four. Ooh. <laughs> so that's what's new with Atlassian Tech. Uh, what's new in the blogosphere this week, Ryan? Well, one of my favorite things to do is hand out bad advice, especially when it's unsolicited. And recently... Idalco passed uh, passed along a few really bad tips. They called it the. Uh, they put out an article about the worst common advice for Jira, and of course, I'm joking that they they rectify the tips in this. And I just thought it was really funny and enjoyable and totally true, because if I've given Matthew a hard time about anything, it's the notification scheme in our project, and the first thing, the first the first tip, bad advice number one. Choose to receive notifications for any Jira issue you're remotely involved in. I know what that feels now, I like. Want, I want to defend our project and its notification scheme because it's doing exactly what I want it to, which is tell Ryan, do all the work. <laughs> That's, that is by design. Uh, it works so well. <laughs> <laughs> I think the main issue here uh, is you got to go into your user profile and, d- and disable auto watch. Don't watch every single thing you touch. And your notification schemes should be set where they're only notifying uh, the necessary people. So, for instance, notifying the assignee when uh, there's a comment added or when something's assigned to them. I think that makes sense. Ryan doesn't like it, but that's just because everything's assigned to him. It's just because <laughs> you're too awesome, Ryan. That's the problem. You're good at too many things. Oh, that's funny on levels. I wish you could pick and choose... Not necessarily on which issues you're notified, but what types of changes. On a user level. Yeah. Yeah. If the user could say, well, I get that's a notification scheme, but I don't actually want to be notified of comments. I do still want to be notified of assigning. So like a a user profile notification scheme. I was just going to confirm that that is not something I can do. (laughs) Sometimes I assume I can't do things and find out really quickly. Mm -hmm. No, you cannot. That is not a thing that exists. That is not a thing that exists. Another thing that uh, I think Atlassian has looked into, and and certainly you can do this with Confluence, is uh, a digest of notifications. Um, With Confluence, it makes a bit more sense. You're getting updates about pages that are changing and things like that. Uh, With Jira, you you need it much more in the moment. But it'd be kind of nice to get a digest of the Jira changes. Like every morning at 7 a.m., tell me everything that popped in yesterday. But yeah. I don't know, maybe we'll see improvements there in the next year. Uh, probably just for agility boards on cloud, but, you know, whatever. It's a start. That's why we're going to the cloud, Matthew. It's just someone <laughs> else's computer. I like, <laughs> I also enjoy bad advice number four that, you know, says the bad advice is need more functionality, just install more add-ons. But this is where I'm going to derail from Idalco and say this is, this is true. You know, when um, users go hunting for add-ons, I think everyone should check to see if they have script runner first, because I have seen so many examples now and I'm, I'm bragging on us a little bit, but I've seen so many examples where a customer with script runner says, okay, but we're thinking of installing blah, 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 blah to do this. And we just have to, well, you already have script runner, just it's built in. And the, the look that they give us is, is wonderful. 
It's a look of relief and wonder and admiration, sometimes love. Uh, so if you have ScriptRunner, if you're out there listening and you're a ScriptRunner person and you're looking for functionality, you're thinking, oh, I need another add-on. Maybe you don't. Yeah, chances are you don't. Um, ScriptRunner does damn near everything. Um, and as the non-programmer, I'm, I just kind of think it's magic at this point. I've just sort of drunk the Kool-Aid. Uh, every time I ask the the developers, Hey, can we do this? The answer is typically yes. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the ecosystem. You do have to be careful. Um, one of the things that they highlight is that a, a common problem when you're installing more add-ons, if you just add more and more is they'll conflict with each other. Uh, and you know, don't typically conflict with script runner though. Occasionally that does happen, or at least they don't work together. Um, but I've seen a lot of situations where uh, I'm trying to think there was a classic example a few years ago. It was uh, on Confluence label manager and label cage. These are two different add-ons for label management that had overlapping functionality. So if you wanted the full range of functionality, you, you kind of, you would want to have both, but at the time, at least they didn't play well together. And so you had to decide which you wanted to get. And so step one, install on staging first, you know, you get a 30-day trial of any add-on through the marketplace. So go ahead and give it a try, test it out, do a real thorough test, make sure it's working. But also, at you know, sort of the same time or before you install, make sure you don't already have that functionality provided by ScriptRunner or something else. Uh, make sure you you really do need it to address a, a, a business need. Um, because the more add-ons you stall, install, the more complexity it adds, the harder it can make upgrades, the, it can potentially have performance impacts on your system. So make sure that, that you really do need these things. And document, document, document. All right, so we've talked about some bad advice. What about some meh advice? Some, <laughs> eh, this is okay. Some advice that's like, eh, I could take it or leave it. Yeah, I mean, I could deal with this. And it comes down to working with Excel tables in Jira. Um, on the Atlassian now, I mean, blog. Go ahead. And as you know, I love working with Excel. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Excel spreadsheets. Sarah, you're a project manager. Do you do, do, you do uh, maybe a little bit every now and again in Excel? I love Excel. Um, I think it was my escape from MS Project back in the beginning mm -hmm. of my career. Um, I just ran to Excel because I could do things faster and smarter there. Uh, and it's a bit of a crutch. I'm getting better at not using it. But when there's math involved, I'm in Excel. <laughs> Yeah. And that's a great point. Like Excel is great for the accounting, for math, for any calculations, for formulas. And what this article is doing, which again, we'll have in the, the SoundCloud description, it's how to embed Excel tables in Jira issues. If you've ever done it manually, you have to use pipes, which are the little vertical uh, symbol. It's typically above the inner key. Uh, in, America. In, uh, in North America. In North America. Yeah. If you're on a U.S. keyboard. Um and so you can type them in, and I actually have to do that fairly frequently. What this blog post is showing is how to use Visual Basic. You put this code into Excel so that you can click a button and it copies out your table with the pipes so you can paste that into Jira and, hey, job done. Yeah. One, it's, it's, it's a bit overwhelming. It's probably not that big a deal. You probably can copy and paste out of the blog post. But for me, if I actually do legitimately have data in Excel, it's because I've got a calculation. Like I don't build Excel spreadsheets just for fun. I do it because that's a tool I need to calculate something. And if I've got to calculate something, copying and pasting it into Excel and losing the calculation or the formulas, that defeats the purpose to me. I'd rather just attach the spreadsheet. But let's be real honest, Matthew. You do use Excel for fun. 
<laughs> Sarah, you can admit it too. It's fine. <laughs> hey, I, I, I do build my packing spreadsheets in Excel, but you. Oh my gosh! One of our team members, who shall remain nameless, also packs with Excel. Wow. Yeah, that old habits die hard. Wow. <laughs> um, I don't know about that visual basic stuff. I think that that would take me longer to sort out getting my table in than just sitting there and using the pipes, which is a new word for me. Um, the long eyes is what I've always called them. Um, <laughs> nice. Or, or long L's. I think that I think using the visual basic stuff would just perplex me further. However, I'm on the lower end of the really technical scale, so it just scares because it's code. <laughs> well, nothing to be afraid of, sir. So I guess that news is turning out to be a little more interesting than, than meh. Um, it's really not, though. It's, yeah, it's actually not. not interesting at all. No. But, uh, and you're, I think you're right, Matthew. If you needed actual data, if it needs to be something that's, that is referenced on a regular basis, just maybe link to the spreadsheet on your favorite online document tool service. Some people might say confluence. Ah, All right. So they might say confluence. They might say confluence. We (laughs) don't really know how to pronounce it. Yeah. There's been a debate about it for a while. Can we just shorten it to comfy or something? Oh yeah. With a capital C. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Comfy. (laughs) And now some actual good advice, you know, we do we do manage it every once in a we while. We manage it once in a while. You, we've got we've given you plenty of bad advice. We've given you a very little bit of meh advice, and now some good stuff. The good is learning coding from Michael Cannon Brooks of Atlassian himself. Uh, uh, Michael Cannon Brooks himself, Atlassian's co CEO, recently gave a course in Australia to a group of reporters and government leaders. He took them through a seventh grade programming session. I like how, how Chris Griffith, the the author, is so, um, like, he's in favor of the program, but I got this sense of dismissiveness from him. Oh, he had us go through the seventh grade program thing. And I'm looking at it going, there is no way in the hell I could follow that. I would, I would, I guarantee those seven, or not seventh graders, seven-year-olds. And I guarantee those seven-year-olds far better at coding than me. My thoughts exactly. Well, yeah, that's and that's how it's always been. Uh, the the kids these days are way better at Xbox than I'll ever be, but I could rule on them on the normal Nintendo. You know, like if we go to Super Nintendo, I'll Xbox. school them in Street Fighter, but that's not what's happening anymore. So that's true. You are good at Street Fighter. That's true. I am good at Street Fighter, but for them, it's totally different. And I think that Mike Cannon Brooks' goal by doing this is to to get Australia investing. And it, I don't know if we have any listeners down under. But uh, if we do, awesome. Um, well, and one of the things he points out is 40% of current jobs are going to be gone by 2025. And we've said, you know, you hear this in education over the decades. We can't imagine what the jobs are going to be in 20 years. Uh, the, I think the pace of that is accelerating. Uh, and we're seeing so, much, so many changes in automation and so many changes in technology. What's really key and what we need to be teaching people is how to think a little bit differently creatively, uh, but also not, not exactly mathematically, but there's a certain logic, you know, in critical thinking that it, it does take diligence to learn and getting kids started sooner on that, I think will really give them a, a leg up. Well, I think it changes the learning curve too. I think I started 
Fun fact, I did actually used to know how to sort of code. I had my own website at some point, and I think it's still up there. So I did understand HTML and then thought I wanted to get into computer sciences, but started learning Turing and everything just got difficult. Um, I also think if you started that learning curve a lot younger, because I think I was maybe 15 or 16 when I was in that realm, your thought process has already molded a bit. And if you start learning things like that at a younger age, you are already thinking in code, um, which should help with, as you say, with the job prospects, right? Where, where jobs are going these days. So get kids into there earlier. I, I'm halfway of a thought of a mind as well, that by learning the logic that it requires to um, do this sort of work, you're also establishing some sort of broader platform upon which to learn other things. I think just like learning an instrument, learning to code is probably good for your brain. It's just mm-hmm. like learning a language and kids mm-hmm. can, and we, there's a, a ton of research out there to show that children learn languages way faster than we squares uh, because their brains are plastic. I wonder if, because you use different parts of your brain to, to speak and to sing. I wonder if there's a different part of your brain to code. Jamie Eklund knows. <laughs> I'm sure he does. And our last bit for today... A fantastic Q&A from Financial Forces' Paul Hardiker on how he used Adaptivist Test Management for Jira along with EasyBI to help Financial Force customers thrive at speed. So Test Management for Jira is one of those products that uh, I'm not going to say it makes no sense to me. Um, <laughs> but I, am, I do struggle to be smart enough to use it. So Ryan and I, we've, we've tried to use test management for Jira for developing training. We've talked before on the podcast about Adaptivist Learn and the training platform we're making. And I became enamored of this idea of test-driven training development. And what that really meant is we defined in advance what we wanted the training to look like. We had certain quality checks that we needed to conduct. And so I wrote out tests and I built them a test management for Jira. And we ran those tests for every piece of training as we produced it and the, uh, the stages along the way as we were producing it. And man, I, I just, I struggled with it. Uh, and then last week I was up in Toronto. Uh, so I heard Justin from Loblaw Digital speaking at the AUG about uh, using TM4J and how it's just had these huge improvements for them and it's working so well and how quickly they got into it. I think this this really highlights you got to know your audience. <laughs> and I am not the audience for TM4J, but for developers uh, like Loblaws and like Financial Force, uh, it works for them. So uh, I guess if you're a developer and you're interested in QA and testing and making sure code is good, um, look at it because it will probably make sense to you where it does not to be. Uh, EasyBI, on the other hand, I get that a little bit better because, again, I love spreadsheets. And EasyBI is like the graphing portion of the spreadsheet. So I'm, I'm all about that. There are also some powerful integrations between TM4J and Adaptivist Script Runner that have shown to be really popular. When we demonstrated this in front of people at Summit, they were going wild. And I didn't get yeah. it. So I'm with you, Matthew. It's it's but but when the lizard brain starts to tell you that hey, people are liking this, you gotta you gotta pay a little attention, right? So um, if you're into that sort of thing, for our viewers at home, you may be wondering at this point, why are you listening to these people who don't seem to know anything? And the answer is, we don't know either. 
<laughs> I'm just going to say the answer is because uh, we crawl through the internet and find these wonderful sorts of articles and QA pieces that we can then point you at. So Paul from Financial Force uh, is really saying in this interview is that uh, they were struggling to get the information when they needed it. It was taking a lot of time to process, to dig through everything. They knew the data was in Jira, but it was hard to find. And effectively, TM4J is what's providing the data. EZBI is what's surfacing it. And that's often what we hear about EZBI, that it helps bring this data to the surface. And like everything else in Atlassian, it gives you that up to the moment. Like it's a live view of what's going on. That's the real big benefit of using the Atlassian tools. Everything is in there. Everybody's on the same page. You're all looking at the same thing. You know, you're, you're getting those reports in the moment. And going back to what we were saying earlier about the user experience changes for the workflow, uh, anytime you can get something done faster, you have to spend less time with manual processing. You have to spend less time digging or building reports or something. It just gives us more time to think through things, to make better decisions, to get data that's, that's not out of date. Uh, because anytime we have to export something and then wait, you know, hours or days to have a meeting about it, it's, it's out of date. So being able to pull stuff up in the moment in EasyBI and know what's really going on today in the last hour, in the last few minutes, that's really powerful. Well, speaking of being on the same page, it's been a real pleasure to be on the same page with the two of you today. If you're interested in reading any of the articles we've discussed, there will be links available in our podcast description on SoundCloud. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to share it on any social media that you'd like. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or you have a suggestion for something we should go over, please send it to learn at adaptivist.com. Sarah Stallen, Matthew Stubblefield, thank you both so much. And we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. So speaking of Excel for fun, I have a uh, I have a, a a post on my personal blog about using decision analysis to find the lowest cost for crafting in an MMORPG, where I built out a detailed spreadsheet and formula for how best to play a game. So for those of you who want to use decision analysis in your online gaming, we can link you the spreadsheet and the formula because I shared all of this for. People who are just as nerdy as me. That is so brutal. Whereas I just want to make sure I have the right shoes for the outfit. <laughs> everybody has their, everybody has their purpose for Excel. <laughs> <laughs>